Section 14 of Beacon Lights of History, Volume 7, Great Women, by John Lord. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by K. Hand. Madame Recamier, Part 2. In 1819 occurred the second failure of Madame Recamier, which necessarily led again to a new and more humble style of life. The home which Madame Mercamier now selected, and where she lived until 1838, was the Abbe Abois, while her father and her husband, the latter now sixty-nine, lived in a small lodging in the vicinity. She occupied in this convent, a large old building in the Rue des Sevres, a small appartement in the third story, with a brick floor and uneven at that. She afterwards removed to a small apartment on the first floor, which looked upon the convent garden. Here, in this seclusion, impoverished and no longer young, Madame Recamier received her friends and guests, and they were among the most distinguished people of France, especially the Duc de Montmorency and the Viscount Chateaubriand. The former was a very religious man, and the breath of scandal never for a moment tainted his reputation or cast any reproach on the memorable friendship which he cultivated with the most beautiful woman in France. This illustrious nobleman was at that time Minister of Foreign Affairs, and was sent to the celebrated Congress of Vienna, where Metternich, the greatest statesman of the age, presided and inaugurated a reaction from the principles of the Revolution. But more famous than he was Chateaubriand, then ambassador at London, and afterwards joined with Montmorency as delegate to the Congress of Vienna, and still later Minister of Foreign Affairs, who held during the reign of Louis the Eighteenth the most distinguished position in France as a statesman, a man of society, and a literary man. The author of The Genius of Christianity was aristocratic, moody, fickle, and vain, almost spoiled with the incense of popular idolatry. No literary man since Voltaire had received such incense. He was the acknowledged head of French literature, a man of illustrious birth, noble manners, poetical temperament, vast acquisitions, and immense social prestige. He took sad and desponding views of life, was intensely conservative, but had doubtless a lofty soul as well as intellectual supremacy. He occupied distinct spheres, was poet, historian, statesman, orator, and the oracle of fashionable salons, although he loved seclusion and detested crowds. The virtues of his private life were unimpeached, and no man was more respected by the nation than this cultivated scholar and gentleman of the old school. It was between this remarkable man and Madame Recamier that the most memorable friendship of modern times took place. It began in the year 1817 at the bedside of Madame de Stael, but did not ripen into intimacy until 1818, when he was fifty and she was forty-one. His genius and accomplishments soon conquered the first place in her heart, and he kept that place until his death in 1848, thirty years of ardent and reproachless friendship. Her other friends felt great inquietude in view of this friendship, fearing that the incurable melancholy and fitful moods of the Viscount would have a depressing influence on her. But she could not resist his fascinations any easier than he could resist hers. The Viscount visited her every day, generally in the afternoon, and when absent on his diplomatic missions to the various foreign courts, he wrote her, every day, all the details of his life, as well as sentiments. He constantly complained that she did not write as often as he did. 
His attachment was not prompted by that unselfish devotion which marked Ballanche, who sought no return, only the privilege of adoration. Chateaubriand was exacting, and sought a warmer and still increasing affection, which it seems was returned. Madame Recamier's nature was not passionate, it was simply affectionate. She sought to have the wants of her soul met. She rarely went to parties or assemblies, and seldom to the theatre. She craved friendship, and of the purest and loftiest kind. She was tired of the dissipation of society, and even of flatteries, of which the Viscount was equally weary. The delusions of life were dispelled, in her case at forty, in his at fifty. This intimacy reminds us of that of Louis the Fourteenth and Madame de Maintenon. Neither could live without the other. But their correspondence does not reveal any improper intimacy. It was purely spiritual and affectionate. It was based on mutual admiration. It was strengthened by mutual respect for each other's moral qualities. And the friendship gave rise to no scandal, nor was it in any way misrepresented. Every day the statesman, when immersed even in the cares of a great office, was seen at her modest dwelling at the same hour, about four o'clock, and no other visitors were received at that hour. After unbending his burdened soul, or communicating his political plans, or detailing the gossip of the day, all to the end of securing sympathy and encouragement from a great woman, he retired to his own hotel and spent the evening with his sick wife. One might suppose that his wife would have been jealous. The wife of Carlyle would never have permitted her husband to visit on such intimate terms the woman he most admired, Lady Ashburton, without a separation. But Chateaubriand's wife favored rather than discouraged the intimacy, knowing that it was necessary to his happiness. Nor did the friendship between Madame Recamier and the Duc de Montmorency, the political rival of Chateaubriand, weaken the love of the latter or create jealousy, a proof of his noble character. And when the pious duke died, both friends gave way to the most sincere grief. It was impossible for Madame Recamier to live without friendship. She could give up society and fortune, but not her friends. The friendly circle was not large, but, as we have said, embraced the leading men of France. Her limited means made no difference with her guests, since these were friends and admirers. Her attraction to men and women alike did not decrease with age or poverty. The fall of Charles X in 1830 led, of course, to the political downfall of Chateaubriand and many of Madame Recamier's best friends. But there was a younger class of an opposite school who now came forward, and the more eminent of these were also frequent visitors to the old queen of society, Ampierre, Thiers, Meunier, Guizot, de Tocqueville, Saint-Beuve. Nor did she lose the friendship, in her altered fortunes, of queens and nobles she seems to have been received with the greatest cordiality in whatever chateau she chose to visit even louis napoleon on his release from imprisonment in the castle of ham lost no time in paying his respects to the woman his uncle had formerly banished one of the characteristic things which this interesting lady did was to get up a soiree in her apartments at the convent in aid of the sufferers of lyons from an inundation of the rhone from which she realized a large sum it was attended by the elite of paris lady byron paid a hundred francs for her ticket the duc de noailles provided the refreshments the marquis de varac furnished the carriages and chateaubriand acted as master of ceremonies rachel acted in the role of esther not yet performed at the theatre while garcia rubini and Leblanche kindly gave their services it was a very brilliant entertainment one of the last in which madame recamier presided as a queen of society
it showed her kindness of heart which was the most conspicuous trait of her character she wished to please but she desired still more to be of assistance the desire to please may arise from blended vanity and good nature the desire to be useful is purely disinterested in all her intercourse with friends we see in madame recamier a remarkable power of sympathy she was not a woman of genius but of amazing tact kindness and amiability she entered with all her heart into the private and confidential communications of her friends and was totally free from egotism forgetting herself in the happiness of others if not a woman of genius she had extraordinary good sense and her advice was seldom wrong it was this union of sympathy kindness tact and wisdom which made madame recamier's friendship so highly prized by the greatest men of the age but she was exclusive she did not admit everybody to her salon only those whom she loved and esteemed generally from the highest social circle sympathy cannot exist except among equals we associate paula with jerome the countess matilda with hildebrand vittoria colonna with michelangelo hannah moore with dr johnson friendship is neither patronage nor philanthropy and the more exalted the social or political or literary position the more rare friendship is and the more beautiful when it shines it was the friendships of madame recamier with distinguished men and women which made her famous more than her graces and beauty she soothed encouraged and fortified the soul of chateaubriand in his fits of depression and under political disappointments always herself cheerful and full of vivacity an angel of consolation and spiritual radiance her beauty at this period was moral rather than physical since it revealed the virtues of the heart and the quickness of spiritual insight in her earlier days the object of universal and unbounded admiration from her unparalleled charms and fascinations she may have coquetted more than can be deemed decorous of a lady of fashion but if so it was vanity and love of admiration which were the causes she never appealed to passion for as we have said her own nature was not passionate she was satisfied to be worshipped the love of admiration is not often allied with that passion which loses self-control and buries one in the gulf of mad infatuation the mainspring of her early life was to please and of her later life to make people happy a more unselfish woman never lived those beauties who lure to ruin as did the sirens are ever heartless and selfish like cleopatra and madame de pompadour there is nothing on this earth more selfish than what foolish and inexperienced people often mistake for love there is nothing more radiant and inspiring than the moral beauty of the soul the love that this creates is tender sympathetic kind and benevolent nothing could be more unselfish and beautiful than the love with which madame recamier inspired blanche who had nothing to give and nothing to ask but sympathy and kindness one of the most touching and tender friendships ever recorded was the intercourse between chateaubriand and madame recamier when they were both old and infirm nothing is more interesting than their letters and daily interviews at the convent where she spent her latter days she was not only poor but she had also become blind and had lost all relish for fashionable society not a religious recluse saddened and penitent like the duchess de logenville in the vale of chevreux but still a cheerful woman fond of music of animated talk and of the political news of the day chateaubriand was old disenchanted disappointed melancholy and full of infirmities yet he never failed in the afternoon to make his appearance at the abbey driven in a carriage to the threshold of the salon where he was placed in an armchair and wheeled to a corner of the fireplace when he poured out his sorrows and received consolation once on one of those dreary visits he asked his friend to marry him he being then seventy-nine and she seventy-one and bear his illustrious name 
why said she should we marry at our age there is no impropriety in my taking care of you if solitude is painful to you i am ready to live in the same house with you the world will do justice to the purity of our friendship years and blindness give me this right let us change nothing in so perfect an affection the old statesman and historian soon after died broken in mind and body living long enough to see the fall of louis philippe in losing this friend of thirty years madame recamier felt that the mainspring of her life was broken she shed no tears in her silent and submissive grief nor did she repel consolation or the society of friends but the sad smile which played on her lips was heart-rending while witnessing the decline of this noble genius she had struggled with singular tenderness against the terrible effect of years upon him but the long struggle had exhausted her own strength and all motives for life were gone though now old and blind yet like madame du Deffon at eighty madame recamier's attractions never passed away the great and the distinguished still visited her and pronounced her charming to the last her vivacity never deserted her, nor her desire to make everyone happy around her. She was kept interesting to the end by the warmth of her affections and the brightness of her mind. As it is the soul which is the glory of a woman, so the soul sheds its rays of imperishable light on the last pathway of existence. No beauty ever utterly passes away when animated by what is immortal. Madame Recamier died at last of cholera, that disease which of all others she had ever most dreaded and avoided on the eleventh of may eighteen forty nine amid weeping relatives and kneeling servants and sacerdotal prayers this interesting woman passed away from earth to her might be applied the eulogy of burke on marie antoinette madame recamier's place in society has never since been filled with equal grace and fascination she adopted the customs of the hotel de Rambouillet, certain rules which good society has since observed she discouraged the tete-a-tete -tete in a low voice in a mixed company if any one in her circle was likely to have especial knowledge she would appeal to him with an air of deference if any one was shy she encouraged him if a mot was particularly happy she would take it up and show it to the company presiding in her own salon she talked but little herself but rather exerted herself to draw others out without being learned she exercised great judgment in her decisions when appeals were made to her as the presiding genius she discouraged everything pedantic and pretentious she dreaded exaggerations she kept her company to the subject under discussion and compelled attention she would allow no slang she insisted upon good nature and amiability which more than anything else marked society in the eighteenth century we read so much of those interesting reunions in the salons of distinguished people in the seventeenth and eighteenth centuries that we naturally seek to know what constituted their peculiar charm it seems to me to have been conversation which is both an art and a gift in these exclusive meetings women did not reign in consequence of their beauty so much as their wit their vivacity intelligence and tact i may also add their good nature were avail to cover up all eccentricities it was when madame du Deffon was eighty and blind that horace walpole pronounced her to be the most interesting woman in france madame de stael never beautiful was the life of a party at forty-five madame recamier was in her glory at fifty hannah moore was most sought when she was sixty there can be no high society where conversation is not the chief attraction and men seldom learn to talk well when not inspired by gifted women they may dictate like dr johnson or preach like coleridge in a circle of admirers or give vent to sarcasms and paradoxes like carlyle 
but they do not please like horace walpole or dazzle like wilkes or charm like mackintosh when society was most famous at paris it was the salon not the card table or the banquet or the ball which was most sought by cultivated men and women where conversation was directed by gifted women women are nothing in the social circle who cannot draw out the sentiments of able men and a man of genius gains more from the inspiration of one brilliant woman than from all the bookworms of many colleges in society a bright and witty woman not merely shines but she reigns conversation brings out all her faculties and kindles all her sensibilities and gives expression to her deepest sentiments her talk is more than music it is music rising to the heights of eloquence she is more even than an artist she is a goddess before whom genius delights to burn its incense success in this great art of conversation depends as much upon the disposition as upon the brains the remarkable women who reigned in the salons of the last century were all distinguished for their good nature good nature based on toleration and kind feeling rather than on insipid acquiescence there can be no animated talk without dissent and dissent should be disguised by the language of courtesy as vanity is one of the mainsprings of human nature and is nearly universal the old queens of society had the tact to hide what could not easily be extirpated and they were adepts in the still greater art of seeming to be unconscious those people are ever the most agreeable who listen with seeming curiosity and who conceal themselves in order to feed the vanity of others nor does a true artist force his wit a confirmed punster is as great a bore as a patronizing moralist moreover the life of society depends upon the general glow of the party rather than the prominence of an individual so that a brilliant talker will seek to bring out the coincidence which strengthens conviction or the dissent which sharpens sagacity rather than individual experiences which ever seem to be egotistical in agreeable society all egotism is to be crushed and crucified even a man who is an oracle if wise will suggest rather than seem to instruct in a congenial party all differences in rank are for the time ignored it is in bad taste to remind or impress people with a sense of their inferiority as in chivalry all degrees were forgotten in an assemblage of gentlemen animated conversation amuses without seeming to teach and transfers ideas so skillfully into the minds of others that they are ignorant of the debt and mistake them for their own it kindles a healthy enthusiasm promotes good nature repels pretension and rebukes vanity it even sets off beauty and intensifies its radiance said madame de lafayette to madame de sevigny your varying expression so brightens and adorns your beauty that there is nothing so brilliant as yourself every word you utter adds to the brightness of your eyes and while it is said that language impresses only the ear it is quite certain that yours enchants the vision like style in writing says lamartine conversation must flow with ease or it will oppress it must be clear or depth of thought cannot be penetrated simple or the understanding will be overtasked restrained or redundancy will satiate warm or it will lack soul witty or the brain will not be excited generous or sympathy cannot be roused gentle or there will be no toleration persuasive or the passions cannot be subdued when it unites these excellences it has an irresistible power musical as was apollo's lyre a perpetual feast of nectared sweets such as i fancy socrates poured out to athenian youth or augustine in the gardens of como an electrical glow such as united the members of the turks head club into a band of brothers or annihilated all distinctions of rank at the supper-table of the poet scaron 
we cannot easily overrate the influence of those who inspire the social circle they give not only the greatest pleasure which is known to cultivated minds but kindle lofty sentiments they draw men from the whirlpools of folly break up degrading habits dissipate the charms of money-making and raise the value of the soul how charming how delightful how inspiring is the eloquence which is kindled by the attrition of gifted minds what privilege is greater than to be with those who reveal the experiences of great careers especially if there be the absence of vanity and ostentation and encouragement by those whose presence is safety and whose smiles are an inspiration it is the blending of the beatitudes of bethany with the artistic enjoyments of weimar causing the favored circle to forget all cares and giving them strength for those duties which make up the main business of human life when woman accomplishes such results she fills no ordinary sphere she performs no ordinary mission she rises in dignity as she declines in physical attractions like a queen of beauty at the tournament she bestows the rewards which distinguished excellence has won she breaks up the distinctions of rank she rebukes the arrogance of wealth she destroys pretensions she kills self-conceit she even gains consideration for her husband or brother for many a stupid man is received into a select circle because of the attractions of his wife or sister even as many a silly woman gains consideration from the talents or position of her husband or brother no matter how rich a man may be if unpolished ignorant or rude he is nobody in a party which seeks the feast of reason and the flow of soul he is utterly insignificant rebuked and humiliated even as a brainless beauty finds herself de trop in a circle of wits such a man may have consideration in the circle which cannot appreciate anything lofty or refined but none in those upper regions where art and truth form subjects of discourse where the aesthetic influences of the heart go forth to purify and exalt where the soul is refreshed by the communion of gifted and sympathetic companions and where that which is most precious and exalted in a man or woman is honored and beloved without this influence which woman controls a learned man is in danger of becoming a pedant a religious man a bigot a vain man a fool and a self-indulgent man a slave no man can be truly genial unless he has been taught in the school where his wife or daughter or sister or mother presides as a son of radiance and beauty it is only in this school that boorish manners are reformed egotisms rebuked stupidities punished and cynicism exercised but this exalting influence cannot exist in society without an attractive power in those ladies who compose it a crowd of women does not necessarily make society any more than do the empty stupid and noisy receptions which are sometimes held in the houses of the rich still less those silly flippant ignorant pretentious unblushing and exacting girls who have just escaped from a fashionable school who elbow their brothers into corners and cover with confusion their fathers and mothers a mere assemblage of men and women is nothing without the charms of refinement vivacity knowledge and good nature these are not born in a day they seldom mark people until middle life when experiences are wide and feelings deep when flippancy is not mistaken for wit nor impertinence for ease a frivolous slave of dress and ornament can no more belong to the circle of which i now speak than can a pushing masculine woman to the sphere which she occasionally usurps not dress not jewelry not pleasing manners not even innocence is the charm and glory of society but the wisdom learned by experience the knowledge acquired by study the quickness based on native genius when woman has thus acquired these great resources by books by travel by extended intercourse and by the soaring of an untrammeled soul then only does she shine and guide and inspire and become not the equal of man but his superior 
his mentor his guardian angel his star of worship in that favored and glorious realm which is alike the paradise and the empire of the world authorities miss j m lewster's memoir of madame recamier memoirs and correspondence by lenormand marquis of salisbury's historical sketches mrs thompson's queens of society guizot's sketch of madame recamier biographie universelle dublin review fifty seven to eighty eight christian examiner eighty two to two hundred ninety nine quarterly review one hundred seven to two hundred ninety eight edinburgh review one hundred eleven to two hundred four north british review thirty two bentley's magazine twenty six to ninety six the nation three four fifteen fraser's magazine forty to two hundred sixty four end of section fourteen